don't have to like everything we say. You don't have to listen to us. Well, I got some of your questions, so we're going to hit those up today. We're going to discuss some things doing with disability claims and possibly being surveilled when you're trying to get that disability that could be happening from your work or Social Security, like it did with me. Then there's one about firearm storage I'm going to hit up, a follow-up to Lady J, who asked us a question a while back about a door that I mentioned, and I got the picture from her, and I never... I don't think I followed back up on that. If I did, well, we're doing it again. And then... Got some nice emails from a few people. I'm going to highlight a few regarding that PTSD, stress, anxiety, and depression podcast I did enough that I've been kind of re-inspired and reinvigorated just because of one of them. It's one of them was enough to make me glad that I've been doing this all along. So that's what's coming up right here on Gray Man, hiding in plain sight. There's nothing like clicking the wrong button, letting music play, freaking yourself out. But you didn't you didn't hear that part. I didn't hit record yet. So let's start off here. Um, we call this person Flo. Sent me this uh, email. It said, discovered you searching for situational awareness and healing some kid trauma stuff. Couldn't stop listening. Short and sweet. You have a great voice. Well, thank you. Hopefully in this current environment, it still sounds good. It sounds better when I'm at my house, but that's not happening for a while. Goes on to say, anyway, I'm reaching out due to your PTSD episode. I cried a lot, needed it. Ugly cry, LOL. My dad and mom met in the military. Life was tough as the eldest. Just as I was listening to that episode, my Sweatcoin map had a better help deal. First month discount. I've been interested, but never acted between the deal and your story. I signed up really grateful. You didn't give up your student. So, I'm going to have to look those up because, again, I'm on the Internet. I wanted to say thank you, and I'm, I'm glad that it helped you. This is the email that um, – it's been a long time since I read an email, and I, it gave me a feeling. And this has kind of re-inspired me. Not that I was going to give up, but I was becoming very comfortable with not doing shows and then almost feeling obligated to do them and not figuring out where my – motivation had gone it wasn't an issue of time i mean big part of last year was logistics now it was i think i enjoy what i do so much sometimes it becomes probably laziness even though i tend to do everything else but thank you and i'm glad it helped you and i hope that you continue forward with that stuff here's another one from we'll call you rasta i'm like modifying names and emails and stuff this is <laughs> it's funny. I've actually, actually a long time ago, I was like, I'm going to get a question like this one day. And I finally did. I said, I've noticed you used Jason Bourne as a reference for explaining certain 
concepts very regularly. Well, yeah, but I usually say they're wrong, but that's not all the time. Okay. I was wondering if you've read the books at all. And if so, what do you think of the actuary of the methods and concepts utilized in them versus reality? I'm only talking about the first three books though. Everything after that was a different author because Ludlum refused to write more as the story was finished. However, the publishing company wanted more after he died. Didn't know that. So I read the first one before I was ever in the intelligence field. In fact, I read it before the movie, I think. I don't think I'd ever, I don't think the movies have been made yet. Or maybe I'd seen the first one and decided to read. Anyway, it was sent in like a box of books overseas from, you know, they do those gift deals. They, you know, send people care packages. And this was one with books. And I read the first one. At some point I read the second one. I think I, I think I finished it or came close. I think I read that one after the movie had come out and I was, my memory is that the movie was pretty close to the book in the first one, but not entirely. And then in the second one, it started getting farther away. And I don't know if that's accurate. Anyway, I'd read these before I ever did any of this work. And I mean, it was quite a while later that I got, I got into this work and then actually started doing anything that might be considered cool. So it's been so long, I really couldn't tell you. I can tell you that in my experience, most pop culture stuff is way off. There's little things that they do well sometimes. You know, like, I mean, a lot of the examples I've given are from the more of the tactical side of guys that are, you know, former SOCOM guys or whatever in a movie, and then they go rescue the kid or whatever. And so a lot of the times, the way they handle weapons and do tactics and stuff, they put a lot more effort into trying to be better at, but the stories themselves are generally bullshit. Like, that stuff doesn't happen. So it's kind of a give and take there. Uh, overall, I can I can tell you that my guess is most books have a lot more detail than the movies do, so there might be more. I don't think I'm going to go read them. If you have specific examples in there or something, and I can find a digital copy of the book, I can look a few up. But my guess is that they're probably not, or or they're outdated. So, like the uh, I did a podcast a while ago where I covered some spy terms that were used by spy agencies. Some not, and some I didn't even remember. Some were very old, not used anymore, or people would know what they are, but it's not like it's in the manual, you know, you're not taught that kind of stuff, but it happens. You know, it's like the, I think I talked about this recently to some degree, the, um, oh, it's escaping me now. Oh, the, uh, don't you hate that? I should be pausing this until I figure it out. It has to do with the classified information. Oh, I can either confirm or deny. I was watching a documentary recently. I don't remember what documentary it was, but so apparently, I believe this had to do with the Azorian project or whatever it was called. I think it's Azorian. So this was, oh, well, it was a while ago, a few decades, but there was a Soviet sub that had sunk and like a race to get there to see who's gonna, you know, bring the sub up and it cost a bunch of money. We did it. And I think it fell apart as we're pulling it up and we got nothing or we got part of it or I don't remember the whole deal. That's what I remember that. The, the, the documentary was not specifically about this. This documentary was bigger, more stuff. That statement came into it. And it was about that project. Apparently, a news reporter of some type had contacted CIA, whatever office, the equivalent of probably... Um, public affairs i don't know if they had it at the time and and the story goes the person responds says you know i can neither confirm nor deny the the existence of that story or if that's real or something like that 
and the lore begins. So that might be the story. It might not. But it's fun to have, a, have an answer finally. So I don't... I seriously doubt there's too much good stuff in there, but if there is, it's probably way outdated. Let's see. This one. So going back to this window, I, I talked about this window a long time ago in this door in her house. The, the upper half was like all glass. And, uh, you know, she says it's plenty big enough for an average human to get through. Oh, that's, yeah, most humans could get through there. Most people under three feet tall could get through there if they broke the glass. She's got a stop stick posted. There's enough crime increasing in the area. Uh, she's got ADT signs, was going to get a new company, probably has by now. She doesn't want to light up the back porch because it attracts buds, and then that brings the frogs and litters, lizards, and from there we bring in other critters. So, you know, there's several areas of the country. She did well in Texas, too, that that's, that's going to be the case and probably doesn't want what's bigger than the frogs. So... Looking at this window, just to give everybody context, the stop stick she has is the kind that goes right under the doorknob and goes down to the ground, and you kind of extend it like a like a tripod for a camera, but it's just one pole, so it's got the resistance. And then the upper half of the door is pretty much all window, minus like the five-inch or six-inch wooden or metal-framed border. She does have the like a, a diffusing thing on there. It's not blinds. It's... It slides up as one piece and covers the whole window and it like diffuses the light, which is good because on, on one side of that, there's a wall and on the other side, I mean, she would know, but you know, you just kind of try to peek through there to see if anybody can really see anything. And even if they can, you can move stuff in your house to make it to where they can't or there's nothing to see. But I understand the thing with the lights. I now, generally speaking, for a lot of people, this may not work out for you. The simple bug zapper might solve a lot of that problems and allow you to have a security light because if you have a security light and they're just intermittent, it might draw bugs there, but the majority of them, they go for that bug zapper and you could actually put them in an area to, you know, far enough away from there that if other stuff came, it wasn't an issue, but that they wouldn't be attracted by that light. You could try that. For some people, that may be good enough. You know, the other, it, it just depends what kind of critters we're talking about. You mentioned getting in that mesh glass. You're going to look into that. It's something to look into. Steel doors are not cheap. Good doors, though. If you're going to stay in that house, I would I would just look at replacing the door and finding what it's going to cost to get a really good, secure door. The thing is, in most homes, one of the weakest points is the front door, especially when they're more decorative. Or let's say they have, you know, they have the little windows on the side to make it look cooler that you can look in, but that's just more ways to get in. Or more things they can see. Now, some of those are, you know, obstructed somewhat by the design of the glass. Or, you know, if it's got those little wavy whatever things in it, you can't see through. But there's still access points. Or, you know, can they reach in and grab your, your door handle? The odds of that are slim. But there's people that are willing to go that far. But it's something worth looking into is the, uh, you know, boring, secure door. You know, your, your other option is, I mean, if you really want to get into it, you can, if you have like an alcove going into your place, you can actually on the outside or the inside, basically extend your entry to where you have a normal looking door. And then once you get through that or anybody gets through that, they find out you magically got this super high speed security door. They're not going to fucking get through. Of course, if it's some really cool high speed door and they know what they're looking at, they might wonder what you're trying to protect. So 
um, yeah, I just wanted to point that out to everybody. There's options to look at. I'm sure you found something by now. Security cameras are an option. I can't see the front of the house, so I don't know what else is there or any help I can get you. Hopefully by now, too, maybe you perhaps brought out some security people to give you an assessment. Or if you haven't found that new company yet, try going through a few. Even if you're dead set on it, you're going to pick company A. If there are four companies, if they'll all come out and give you a free estimate and give you, you can ask those guys advice, you'll find out some of those guys might have some good advice and some of them might not know anything. Now, going on from there, another question I did not answer of hers. Let's do with firearm storage. She's, I was thinking about for when I'm at home, I live alone. There's no one else who could access them, so I don't need to consider the safety aspects concerning kids or a dumb person getting access. They're fairly well concealed and not necessarily in the expected places. Okay, that's good. I'm scrapping the safe idea entirely as the decent ones are super expensive. Yes, they are, and it seems dumb to have one, have to go through whatever steps to access while inside during an emergency situation. Well, so while that is very true and I agree with you, I think part of the idea there is to have, you know, people that have more than one firearm and also money or extra things they can put in the safe, but they don't. Some people lock them all in there. I would never do that. I would always have one out, you know, for that emergency situation. But like you said, even the smaller ones that would be decent that nobody could pick up and carry away are probably bigger than you need and and are, are very expensive. Thousands. Let's see, uh, dumb to go through. But the rifles were, I really don't know how I should be storing it. Loaded, unloaded right now, it's in a closet and it doesn't seem to be, to me, to be a great place. I have plenty of opinions from others, but they all seem to differ and the reasoning they provide doesn't always add up and I like to collect information to weigh in and I didn't screenshot the rest of that. So, depends on the rifle. I think the rest of that message said something about storing it under your bed. Uh, if I'm right on that, or if I'm not, if somebody does that, I don't personally do that unless it's in a case for any firearm. The reason why is most of the dust, 90% of what we call dust in our house is actually from our skin and it's all over. It's under our floors, under our beds, more than we know. It's like, you know, no matter how clean you keep your house, you move a piece of furniture and you find out like, how is there not animals living in this mess? And I've seen, Firearms get stored in places, even in a corner in a closet, leaned up for so long that you can actually blow in the chamber and watch dust blow out of them or have them obstructed by dead bugs. I don't know that dead bugs would really affect a bullet leaving there. Maybe a smaller, like 22, it's possible. Maybe not a big hunting rifle, but it's still dangerous. And the reason being is most people aren't inspecting or cleaning their firearms regularly or cleaning them properly for storage. And depending on where you're at, you know, you have to take certain considerations in. Like, if it's really humid and you're not storing them with a dehumidifier, which is one of the pros to a safe when you need that, then you're going to have bigger issues. And some people oil them heavier. But then if you do that, the question is, is it so much oil that, you know, everything is going to stick to it and make it nastier or you can't function it properly or there's too much oil in the barrel and that's going to affect things. You have to look at that. If, if it's you or anybody and you're going to store store a firearm under a bed like a rifle this is specific to a rifle because what i'm going to mention i don't think exists for pistols if it's a rifle like say like ar-15 or something they make these barrel caps or plastic caps that slip over and slip on tight i have several of them i one of the many trinkets i somehow ended up with when i left the army we used to get them by bags of 50 or 100 and they actually weren't very expensive i think now you actually buy them individually for a buck or two a piece 
What's great about them is they keep stuff out of that out of that barrel and makes them safer. And the other thing is, is they just fly off. Like you don't, if you were in a real situation and you need to grab the rifle, you wouldn't need to be concerned about that barrel cap. It's not going to affect that bullet whatsoever. And it's just going to fly off there if you have to pull the trigger. So there's no concern about, well, I, you know, I need to take this off. No, it's thin plastic, sturdy enough that you can move the rifle around, whatever. And it's not going to come off and it's going to keep dust and debris or bugs out of there, but it's not going to affect a bullet flying out at, you know, 2200 feet per second or whatever you're shooting. So there's that option. Um, I mean, I would never put it between mattresses. The, the big thing, the big thing is like, what's the firearm for? If this firearm's purpose, most of the time, other than when you take it out of the house, is a self-defense item and needs to be readily available and needs to be stored as safely as you can make it. And then based on your descriptions, your safety window is much more broad than most people that have kids at home or dumb friends. The, the thing is just checking it. And what I would do, what I tell people is, if this is a legit self-defense firearm, but you're never touching it because they say it's a rifle, you know, it's just there, do not forget about it. Pick a day of the week, and that's the day of the week you're going to inspect that firearm. Just do a quick once-over look on it, see if anything needs wiped off, check the barrel, make sure you check, you know, operate safely, whether it has ammo or not or a magazine or not, and that it's stored properly so that you always know. It gets you in this habit of checking it because even though you're checking all the normal stuff and going through basic protocols, you're building up a habit of accessing this rifle. So part of the habit needs to be when you get the rifle, let's say you choose to keep it under your bed. Don't just walk up to your bed, walk in the room, walk up to your bed, go down to a knee and take the rifle out because that's not how you're going to get it. Lay down in your bed, right? And then determine if somebody came in the house right now, what am I going to do? Am I going to roll out of bed and take a knee and grab it? Am I going to reach down and grab it like that? Can I do that? Am I going to sit and grab it? Like, how do you think you're going to do it? And then make that the step you go through. So if you say, I'm going to sit up and I can reach down because I'm going to store it sideways and I'm going to pull it straight out. No problem. Then just sit on your bed and pull it out that way just to build up some, it's just another way to build up muscle memory and to know where the rifle always is. So you can grab it without looking because it's probably going to be dark. And then really the main thing you're looking on for that rifle is cleanliness and that it's functioning properly so that you don't forget about it because the thing is you'll probably never need it, but if the time you need it's two years from now, you're going to be glad you went through all those steps for two years instead of just forgetting it because when you don't touch those things regularly, things start to happen. Other things start to end up under the bed, you know, or somebody did break into your house and you never knew and then the rifle's gone an important object to keep track of. I mean, you probably know where your license and credit cards are. Any money, you know where that is. Anything important. Firearms are just as important. High value items somebody will want to steal from your house, you should always be checking them, and that includes firearms. So however you store it, I'd go through that. As far as loaded or unloaded, it's self-defense purpose, I'd be storing it loaded. The condition in which you store it loaded is the other thing. And the conditions are, they used to label them one, two, and three. But for example, let's say you have a magazine-fed weapon, right? Let's say it's a pistol to go through all the conditions. So if the magazine has bullets in it and you've put it in the firearm and that's all you've done, that would be condition one. If you've put around in the chamber, that's condition two. And if you're in a situation where you have a hammer that goes back, or if you have a pistol that basically has a secondary safety like that, that'd be condition three. So if its purpose is self-defense, 
I would store it loaded, but let's say it's a rifle. Let's say it's an AR-15. You don't have to do that, but the magazine needs to be there, but you need to be checking that magazine. That magazine needs to be free of debris, and the best way to keep it free of debris is to keep it in the weapon. The magazine well needs to be checked. So there's actually extra steps and things to look at. So if it's magazine-fed, definitely I would, I would keep it loaded, especially if it was a rifle. Um, otherwise, it's up to you. But the, the questions to ask yourself is, is the reason why you're thinking about not keeping it unloaded? If it's just a question of your knowledge and experience, understandable. But if it's a safety issue or a concern you have, then I would address that through training. Because if it's, I'm concerned about having a loaded gun and grabbing it in the middle of the night, okay, that's a training issue. That's an issue where we need to be working with firearms more, working with ammunition, loading, unloading, getting familiar with the weapon system, basic safety protocols. Perhaps you need a class or something like that to where you can build in this routine and build up confidence is what you're really looking for. So that's definitely uh, something I think you should check out. Let's see. Here's another one from a person we'll call Jay. Said, um, I listened to the mental health podcast today. Unless I missed it, I don't recall you saying exactly how you were able to quit drinking. I'll be discussing that actually on another episode here soon. Overall, I thought you brought up a lot of good, important things. I know a little bit about PTSD and a lot about hypervigilance. I know about hypersensitivity to sounds, potential threats, and picking up things from people that most don't see. I've seen way too much about human nature and can't think of anyone I truly trust. And then, oh, and asked me about the dog I sent photos. Yeah, people have asked me that sometimes. Like, who do you trust? And I always tell them I trust two people. One of them's me and the other one's not you. That actually is a true statement. And then, oh, I took two photos of that. Let's see, next one. There's another one. Hello, I just wanted to reach out to you and drop a brief note on how that episode resonated with me. I got several of those like that. Let's see. This one, this is one of the first responses I'd actually got. I got this one right away when I published it. I wanted to write and say thank you for your podcast on mental health and for sharing the strategies that work for you. It's hard for some to open up and talk about feelings that they may not understand or want to acknowledge. Yeah, I think for me it's mostly acknowledging. Your podcast could give them a path to discovering what will work for them. To answer your question on places for support, I would recommend facilities that you share the same interests as the individual. Churches, gyms, public libraries, city parks, perhaps volunteering at a shelter. They wouldn't have to say much the first few times, but as they kept going, people would begin to engage. They could control the length of the time in said location. Maybe the first time they can go only stand in the library for five minutes or sit on the park bench for 10 minutes. The point is to keep going each time, adding another minute or short conversation. Yeah, and that goes along a, a better way of describing, I think, some of the stuff I was saying I did, like going to Walmart in the middle of the night. Because I, I can go there in the middle of the day now, but if I'd never done all that stuff, I'd still be going to stores in the middle of the night. Which means I'd be totally screwed. COVID, I'd have starved to death. Okay, so this one I'm going to share with you because I answered this. Actually, we had a message conversation, but I decided I better share it on the show. It says, I'm recovering from a disability. It's generally considered an invisible illness. Okay, so we're not talking about something you can see, something physical. So it's either, you know, it could be a mental health thing, it's some sort of disease, or it could be an injury that's, you know, you just can't, like I have a lower back injury, you can't see that. However, I should assume I've been surveilled as an attempt to discredit any disability claims I have in terms of counter surveillance, what's reasonable. No unusual maintenance people, 
No unusual flower deliveries. I'm in the gated property on a street that's been blocked off for municipal construction for over a year. I've probably been followed to doctor appointments and errands, and I've been able to run on the way home. Your two right recommendations, any of the counter surveillance ideas. I'm already at home most of the time and don't want to limit any of my activities that are part of my recovery. Um, taking out trash, mild exercise, et cetera. My car's been at the garage recently, so I don't think there's a tracking device on it. I value your opinion. Yeah, I mean, you could look it over for tracking device. I don't think that is realistic for this situation. She said, I value your opinion. So I said, uh, I said, is this a social security thing? That was my first thought, because that stuff legit happens. <laughs> and uh, I've been on medical leave from my job for several months, short-term disability, exhausted. So this is the long-term claim, private employer-sponsored insurer. Um for the state, short-term disability is one year and doesn't seem to be an issue. And I said, if you haven't seen anything, it's unlikely there is anyone. If a PI does get hired, it's unlikely they would observe for more than a few days. Just think through everything you're online and in public. So, yeah, so if you have a private insurance, or especially by a big state, or that stuff's known to happen, you know, you want to look out for it. Because it's not that you're trying to, I'm not, I'm presuming nobody that does this is trying to get over on the insurance issue and do a bullshit claim to not work. Some people definitely do that. But Social Security does some stuff and private companies can too. So the thing with PIs is they cost a lot of money. And typically they don't get enough planning time. And if they get planning time, they don't get enough surveillance time then in turn. And they only get to do what they know. So the things they're going to go after will be routine. So the question is for the person you're concerned about, so in this case an insurer, meaning they work for your company, what does your company know? They know where you live, they know the times you travel, and that's probably all they know. They probably don't know much else. It's unlikely they're gonna put the time in to interview other people to find out your schedule so that they can follow you to see what you're, that's not gonna really happen. You know, that's the kind of thing you do for RICO claims. You know, on big time bad guys, it's not done for disability issues. So more than likely, it would be caught during a routine thing, and you may notice them. Looking for things changed on your street is good. Tracking device probably wouldn't happen in today's technology and things people can do. It, the tracking device would be the one thing you carry with you all the time, which is your phone. That's how they're going to track you. It's not that hard to do for people to know it. it it's just not hard. So that's, uh, that'd be the thing. But then looking for your car, too. The other thing is, depending on your disability, when you are surveilled at any time, they're look, what they're looking for is you doing things that disability says you can't. So one lovely example I love, this is from, I, when I was getting out of the Army doing my VA claim, the guy that was helping me had been doing this for 20 or 30 years. So this was sometime in that 20, 30-year period. There was somebody that had done the claim with him, and they were like, got 100% disability or 70%. They got pretty high. I don't know if they got 100. But then somebody happened to film them playing basketball very aggressively at a gym with proof on there, the date or whatever. And it was somebody who had a vendetta against them. It wasn't like surveillance people. It wasn't a PI. And they got it to the Department of Veterans Affairs, and this person lost all of their benefits, as they should have because they were full of shit. So they're going to be looking for things that you can't do or should not be able to do. You reasonably should have difficulty doing. So Social Security does this. One of the things that I know a guy, I don't know, this dude, 
He's got every benefit and everything he's in one after, but the process, he's, he's done everything wrong and it still works out. But things they'll do, for example, they'll come to your house pretending to be from the cable company and your cable company, whatever area, trying to do everything they can to keep you from making that phone call to verify if it's them. Because that's the thing, any utility or anything like that that you actually have, and they show up at your house, knock on your door, and you didn't fucking call them, you need to call that company and stop talking to them. Make sure that's legit, because it's probably not. But what they did, they, they tried to get to where they come in the house and look at stuff, which would only be to look around. But really what they would do is try to keep him at the door as long as possible because of issues based on your injuries. And a lot of military guys have knee injuries or back injuries or hip injuries and issues with standing and sitting. And they just try to get you to stay there 15, 20 minutes if they can. Because then they can document that and they're probably filming it and showing that you're capable of doing that. You know, are you shifting your weight? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? Or they watch people doing yard work and bending over a lot when they have back issues or picking stuff up. And here's the thing. Some of that stuff is completely reasonable for a person to be able to do with injuries. You know, if they're going through treatment or they're doped up on a lot of meds and all they're doing is moving a garden hose, it's not a big deal. But that stuff can be put together in a way to make it look like, you know, you're full of shit. So my guess is for something like an insurance company, even though the one you mentioned is pretty big, more likely it would it would be just for a few days of surveillance. The thing is they could do it more than once. So if this process takes several months for you to go through, they could do it two or three times and each time do it for two or three days. So it may not even be done yet. Part of the response I gave the individual was to not think things through before you do them. You know, it's like when I used to help people do VA claims, I would tell them like, they're gonna take all these measurements, body measurements for things that you're claiming. So they're going to say, they want you to bend over and touch your toes. So I told the guy, can you bend over and touch your toes? He started doing it. I go, don't do it. Because I know you're actually hurt. Don't do it because I've made this mistake. But I go, can you do it? Are you capable? Are you able to do it? He said, well, I can. I said, but what's it feel like when you do it and afterwards? Well, it hurts and blah, blah, blah. He's like, yeah. So the proper way to do this that they don't tell you, and this is not wrong and it's not cheating the system, is you start bending over slowly and you go, okay, this is where I feel pain. I don't want to do it anymore. And they're like, yeah, but keep going if you can. And you're like, no, this is where I feel pain. So unless I get some meds and some physical therapy, I'm not going anymore. And I go, and you stick to your guns because that's the measurement they're going to get. Because the thing is, it's unlikely to get better and it's more likely to get worse over time just from aging. You're being treated for an injury for the rest of your life. So it needs to be noted exactly what you really can do without pain, not what you can do with pain because that doesn't help you. Because in some of those things, they may choose not to give it to you because you can do so much of a movement, even though it hurts you. And then they're not taking care of it. So it's not wrong and it's not cheating the system and it's not justification. That's how the process works. They just don't tell you that. Or it's like doing social security. You know, if you go and see those doctors, they are paid to make you fail. So if you're going for a claim, unless you're pretty much a quadriplegic or, you know, are developmentally disabled, like you're going to go through the whole process and end up in a courtroom. And there might be a dude sitting there with an attorney going over all the possible jobs, that ex whether they exist or not, and say, oh, well, okay, this is all screwed up, but your right hands works. You can type and you can answer phones and do this job. And they have to argue that stuff. And that's when they also bring in, you know, any witnesses and phone conversations, the professional people, if they need to, any film or video of you doing stuff. So when you're going through disability claims with insurance companies or Social Security, you just need to think it through. And what's good about this thinking it through thing is until you're really getting solid treatment that either stabilizes or potentially improves, 
you'll build a habit of thinking through everything you're doing so that you don't make your issues work. I, de- I developed this habit um, before I had Social Security or anything because I didn't know when I was going to have meds again. Like, I didn't have any meds when I got in the military, and then I had some temporarily, and then it was a few months before I got them again, and then I always had, for over 10 years, issues getting meds. It's a big pain in the ass. So I would pay attention to what I was doing, even when I was feeling good, because I have injuries that are pretty severe that can get worse if I do the wrong thing, but I feel great when I'm taking the pills, but I train myself to not do anything stupid to where I, I know I could do this, but I also know it would probably permanently injure me worse. Or I know I can do this, but I'm not doing it. Like I've done that when I visit my mom, I'll do stuff around her house. Usually in the summer, I do a lot of yard work. And she'll be like, hey, uh, would you be able to do this? And then I'll tell her, I usually tell her like, I can do that, but it won't be for a few days. And she understands when I say that, just leave me alone. Because <laughs> there's something about, more than likely what I'm telling you is there's something not feeling good on my body right now that I need to give a, a few days to make sure that I can do that. Or I just need to pace myself in order to do it to not make things worse. And I'm not interested in having the conversation about what hurts and why, because there's nothing you can do and it just pisses me off. Like that's the, what I'm really telling her. Not that you need to know that. Um, so yeah, anyway, you just got to pay attention to that stuff. It's not like they're hiring, hiring pros. I mean, some of the PIs are pros. Some PIs are former cops that have done legit surveillance a lot. Some of them never have or didn't do much or they just wanted to be a PI and are, are trying to learn how to do it. But the, the places to really find people are what habits they have based on their schedule. What are their daily habits? You know, is that going to change? You know, they're, you have a disability claim and your daily habit is going to the gym, coming home, going to work coming home and then three nights a week you go out with friends so you're not going to work anymore let's see do you go to the gym because that might be a problem and then if you do they follow you there and, and go watch that so whatever habits a person has established it's been going on for 30 days or more it could be as little as 30 days you need to take a look at those habits and and decide if there's a difference between what you want to do and what you should do for your own health and disability claim paying attention to that those are really the things that are going to protect you not trying to watch people but some basic counter surveillance stuff is just that like if you think the surveillance is a possibility quit opening your blinds quit giving people opportunity to look in your house because even if the street you describe so you'd notice something or nobody can get in there doesn't mean a telephoto lens can't you know don't spend as much time outdoors if you don't if you're worried about that you know you might have to limit movements and change your schedule and what you're doing anyway just for that convenience or just because it's not because you're trying to hide anything because you don't like some idea of somebody even if they're doing a legit job taking photos of you in your house while you're doing stuff because that just feels creepy and it's a privacy issue so just take a look at that anyway i know i have more questions to answer out there definitely shoot me some more i did see people responding to stuff on spotify make sure you do that we'll be adding some polls and stuff and uh, questions on all these episodes so Looking forward to see responses so we can see how many of those we can turn into episodes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again shortly with more information right here on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.